No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome back to another edition of BOA The Revival, and we've got a really, uh, what I think is going to be an interesting program tonight, as I explained uh, to our guest. Uh, As as many of the listeners know, I'm a huge, lifelong wrestling fan. I've been a fan for 35 years, I think, now at this point, which is really crazy to me. And uh, I, I was watching some clips online on Twitter, and somebody had posted a match with a guy named Cougar J. And I was like, "Who is this Cougar J character? I've never seen him before." So that I, you know, I get on the Google and I'm looking it up, and I find out it's this this man named Dion Moore who went on. This was like an old wrestling match from the from the late '80s, uh, who went on to become a a ghost tour operator. Uh, in St. Augustine, Florida, uh, known as the American Spinner, Dion Moore. So I was like, this is crazy. I explained this to Dion when we set up the show. I was like, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Obviously, I host this this big paranormal podcast. I'm like, all of my worlds are colliding here. And uh, and as I, the more I looked into Dion's story, the more amazed I was just by his just remarkable life. Um, and I said, I, I got to get him on Banal of America. I want to talk to him about the ghost tours. He's a cancer survivor. We'll talk about that, of course. Um, and I want to talk about the, the, the wrestling days as well. So oh, yeah. uh, a lot to talk about here. And, and uh, I really appreciate him coming on the show. I know he, he's, he's still battling all the health issues and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it was really, it's really cool of you to come on and, and give us some time, Dion. So thank you very much, and welcome to Banal of America. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Had immunotherapy today. That's why my face is a little red. Might be a little hoarse, but that's just part of the uh, cancer game. You know, I had to deal with it every three weeks. Just immunotherapy. The chemotherapy is going because I hit remission uh, December 27 of 2023. I had, you know, three years of fighting terminal stage four cancer for three months to live. I've made it beyond, my friend. I've gone far beyond part of a medical, uh, and some miracle of God. So I take it for what it is. I've had to be alive. Yeah, man. You, you, you've got quite the story here. And, uh, I guess generally we start out with the bio, the background, but, but sort of we're going to kind of talk, I guess, a little bit about your whole journey in a way. So tell me a little bit about who Dion Moore is. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Um, you know, how did you get in, led uh, into this colorful or, life that you've had? I was born in Orlando, Florida. I was raised in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. So I was about 18 years old, and I left Mooresville to pursue a, a career in magic. I was, had a thumb chip trick and a, a pencil through the card. I actually worked the streets for two years for coins, doing magic tricks up in Richmond, Virginia, living in the woods, you know. I come up what? a hard life, had an abusive stepfather, and uh, 
it wasn't all great. It wasn't all great. But once I left, you know, got out of there about 18 years old, and everything fell together. It's been a wonderful, you know, uh, 46 years I've been blessed with to be in the entertainment business and survive. Yeah, it's really it's really remarkable. As I said, I was looking at your background: magician, dancer, pro wrestler, stunt actor, storyteller, the American Spinner. Just so much, uh, just an amazing life. Um, so, so you were a living great in the woods. Life. It's been a great life. I got to travel everywhere. You know, I've been blessed. Uh, I'm just not going to ever turn around and say shoulda, coulda, Clint Eastwood. I'm going to do everything I'm, I'm gonna, I want to do and give it all I got and try to get as far as I can with it. I've been very fortunate over the past 46 years. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that way. So you said you were living in the woods when you were a magician? Oh, yeah. When I, li- I was about 17 and a half years old and uh, I actually lived in the woods. I'd bathe in a creek. I'd actually borrow two towels in my hotel, always take them back. And uh, being from the Boy Scouts, I knew how to hide my stuff out, lean tos, and you never find my stuff in the woods. And uh, and that's basically how I started. For about a year and a half, I lived in those woods, doing magic tricks down Shaco Slip, Virginia, at the time. I was, you know, right there in Richmond, and uh, just going doing a. They had Mother's Records. You know, I used to go in a DJ booth. And hear the record before you buy it. And I had a little speaker hung up outside, so I had a little dancing to my act. And it seemed to help out and lived in the woods for two years, you know, wow. doing magic tricks on the corner. That's how it all started. That's wild. So then when did you, how did you end up becoming a professional wrestler then? Uh, so well, I was. You're a magician uh, and a dancer, and then you get into the world of professional wrestling. Well, the uh, magic led me to dancing, and dancing led me to traveling around with a, a male dance group. I did a lot of choreography, and uh, I was was in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, in 1986. My wife and I we went to a wrestling match uh, with the owner of the nightclub we performed in, and then Arn Anderson hit on my wife. Well, I got mad, man. I was trying to get over that rail to get to him, and it took security, you know, to get me off. It was going to take me out. But old Gene Anderson from the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Gene and Ole Anderson, walked over and gave me a business card. You think you're tough enough to be a wrestler? I said, if I can get into Iron Anderson, I'll do anything. So he gave me his business card, called security off of me, and we hopped into the limousine, just head on out. And about a week later, I called Gene Anderson. They had tryouts in July of 1986. And there were 60 guys there, big, big. I was barely 180 pounds, barely. I'm six foot tall. And uh, they put us through an incredible tryout. And only six of us stood. And I was one of the six. And then they proceeded for nine months. They just beat me to death, arm bar, tackle, hip toss, backdrop, body slam, body, for nine months. Yeah. But I kept, it got too, so bad to, at one point, they had to call my wife to bring a pickup truck up uh, to put me in the bed of the pickup because my legs wouldn't work. 
Six bastards. They beat me so bad that day. They put me in the bed of my truck and had to ride home uh, to Charlotte, North Carolina, in the back of a pickup truck. But I kept coming back, and after nine months, Gene Anderson sat me down and said, Kids, you don't give up, do you? I said, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. He goes, You need to learn how to work. I said, What the hell have I been doing for the past nine months? Body <laughs> Y'all beat the hell out of me. And he goes, we was teaching you how to protect yourself. Now you need to learn how to work. And that's when they started teaching me the crap of what goes behind it. You you don't want to hurt your opponent. You got to take care of them. You got to body, you know, do a power slam. You take all the knees, pain on your knees and your shoulders, protect the guy underneath you, perfect the crap. Yeah. Of wrestling. And about 1987, they turned me loose, and I went to ONWA, WCW, WWF, then back down to the minors for a while with APW. Uh, had a good 12-year run with it. So that's how I've become a wrestler called Arn Anderson hit on my life. And I started, you know, a 12-year career. <clears throat> I had a, run, a great run. I had a good time. Did you ever tell Arn Anderson the story? Excuse me? Did you ever tell Arn Anderson the story of how this all came about? No, we, parted. We, later. we actually partied together many times. I worked Arn many times and never said a word to him. Just yeah, let it dry. All right. Now, I, noticed <laughs> I think he would have crushed me if he really wanted to. Now, he was one tub hombre. He sure was, yeah, that's for sure. Now, I yeah, I noticed you. So you kind of got used a lot by, uh, and, and I'm sure, like for the paranormal people, we're we're getting into the paranormal. We're just going to get into all this stuff with Dion. So sit tight. Uh, but you, so you use you use this enhancement talent a lot on these TV shows, right? Because that's a, a lot of the matches when you look up Cougar J. That's what that's what you see. You get some of these like legends, if you will, which is pretty wild. I I I'm very fortunate. I got to work. Arn Anderson, Charlie Blanchard, uh, Barry Windham, Ric Flair, Brian Pillman, may he rest in peace, Sting, Sting many times, uh, and Nikita Karloff a lot, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, the Midnight Rockers, uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. I got an Iron Sheik, Terry Funk. Yeah, it's crazy. uh, Actually, Andre Giant, I've had the opportunity to be in the ring. And you got green wrestlers. They just don't let you in the ring with these power players. You know, these multi-million dollar tickets. The industry must trust you and uh, and really believe you know how to work. You can't hurt a top guy. You can't do something stupid and hurt a multi-million dollar ticket. So... That showed me they had trust yeah. in me that I'd perfected the craft and I knew how to work and not hurt my opponent anyway, short, you know, shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and 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 those enhancement guys don't get nearly. I mean, nowadays they do get a lot more credit. People look back on it and say like, oh, these these guys were integral to the whole. Guys like you were integral to the whole business, the process. Uh, you know, and, and so, yeah. from 1987 
1993 would never be repeated again in wrestling history. Those six years changed wrestling forever. It just the great storylines, the great angles they worked, and Turner going, you know, Turner wanting, Ted Turner wanting by NWA and and WCW going against WWF. It was the golden era. In 1986 to 1983, just an incredible era in wrestling that really sent it into orbit. If it had not been for those six years, wrestling would not be what it is today. They made it an incredible time to be in that industry, and I'm glad I was there. Never made it to the top, made it to a mid-card, but at least I was in the show. And... uh I'm thankful that I did get an opportunity to be in that era and work with a caliber of talent that I got to work with. This, you know, I, I watch it every day. You know, I cannot believe I was yeah. in the ring with Ric Flair. And I starstruck <laughs> on him. He was my idol. And I'm telling you straight up, when that music started 2001, Space Odyssey, I'm sitting there going, damn. That's Freak Flair walking down the aisle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets into the ring, takes his robe off. I'm going, that's Freak Flair. The bell rings. I'm going, that's, it took where he slapped me. I was so starstruck over being in the ring with Ric Flair that he literally had slapped me in the face to kind of bring me back to my senses <laughs> and proceeded to have one of the best matches in my life. Ric Flair is... The most scientific wrestler that will ever be in a square circle. I don't care if a hundred years from now, no one will ever be able to touch the science, the techno, the way the business works, and how to work a crowd than Ric Flair. And it'll never happen again. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was blown away because I was looking up your matches and I'm like, I wonder if you had uh, ever had a match with Ric Flair. Then I found it. I watched it tonight before we did. I was like, this must be so incredible. Like this is but just the way you're describing it right now is like you're still kind of awestruck by the fact that like you wrestled Ric Flair, dude. <laughs> this is yeah, that's, that's Flair. That's <laughs> Flair. Even though he's in his seventies now, he's Flair. That's why it gets commercials today because he's Ric Flair. Absolutely not. The man, the man behind the craft. No one has perfected the craft any better than Ric Flair. Any better. Now, where did the name Cougar J come from? Because it's a pretty unique you know, uh, moniker. I was in training at my mother's house. And they said, they want me to come up with a name. I don't know what to come up with. And she just said, how about using Cougar J? I said, where'd that come from? Sure, I just thought about it. And so I said, that's what it'll be, Cougar J. My mother come up with that name out of nowhere. And I used it all the way up until, like, you know, the 90s when I changed it to Backstreet Sunny Soul, trying to get away from the Cougar J. Yeah. So I went on the back street, Sunny Stone, and Doodoo Brown, downtown Doodoo Brown, under a mask in the late 90s. So did you, 
So how did this work? Like you would show up at the shows and they'd be like, okay, you're in with Nikita Koloff tonight or whatever. And they're, and yeah, then, you, and then, you show up and there'd be a chalkboard up. It'd be like Nikita Koloff versus Cougar J. His name's underlined, which you know, <coughs> he's going over, he's going to win. And you know, Nikita's finished move was a Russian sickle. So, you know, but as far as, you know, talking it out, or it's like choreography. We go over it in the ring. We talk yeah. about it in the ring. We discuss things with each other while we're in the ring. A combination. If Nikita would back me to the corner and say combination, I know that's a backdrop, hip, t- I mean, as a Andre, hip, toss, power slam, backdrop. Yeah. That one word means four different moves. And you know how to pinch your leg if there's too much pressure on someone, or you got a, a squeeze of the wrist means reverse the arm bar I have on you, or either you've got it on too tight, loosen up. Harder to pinch, you know you're doing something wrong. It's all technique, like ballet dancing. Yeah, yeah. When you're like doing the minuet or the waltz, we're a uh, same thing. We communicate in the ring. We talk to each other. Yeah. Do this, you know, see what, because you never know how to, you can't really plan it, because you don't know how the crowd's going to react. So you right, got to right. play out the crowd. Referee's got the ear piece in, talking to the guys in back. Crowd's getting dead, time for a high spot. And he act like he's counting and saying something. The crowd's getting dead, let's do a high spot. Right. So we get up and do a few, a few high maneuvers, and we bring him back down to either the arm that was working, the head leg or the uh, the midsection, whatever body part was working, we go back to that until we get to cue, time to do a high spot again. With time take it home, you know, it's time for Nikita Sigler referee go, let's take it home. And so we know then that what's coming next is a Russian sickle. And he takes the fall, I take the fall, he takes the pin, one, two, three, and it's over. We do it all in the ring. People think it's choreographed, and, and we talk about it before the match. You know, it's not like that at all. You got your name on the board, whoever's on the line, who's going over, who's going to win. Whoever don't have the underline, you're going to lose. You're going to get squashed. You're going to get beat. Yeah. And uh, that's just how it is. You know, any of me sting, you know, it's going to be the scorpion, you know, the, the scorpion exactly. deathlock on your leg. Flying Brian Pillman, it was maneuvers from the top rope on bar, from the top rope from his finished move. You know, the Baron Von Raschke was the claw. We got, but nowadays they do 50 backdrops and 36 arm drags. It wasn't like that. (laughs) You know, a clothesline was a finishing move. It was over with. A back, a backdram, backdrop was a, in another match, and uh, it's not like that anymore. These guys just high flying, more acrobatic. And yeah, doing yeah, yeah. A, I just don't even watch it today. I just can't grip it. It just don't register anymore. Well, what amazed me watching some of your matches, though, was like you really took a beating from these guys. Uh, there was one. I think it's almost kind of famous when you fought Terry Funk, and he and you like charged at him, and he like whipped you out of the ring, and. I was amazed. I'm like, how did, how, did, how did Dion even get up from this? Like, he did like a backflip and landed on the, on the concrete floor. It was it was astounding. 
I mean, you, you must know, be really Terry, nervous after these matches. Terry Funk just followed me. I did the whole. He's just holding my hair and my trunks. I'm actually going. Right. I flew out the ring almost to yeah. the crowd, got high in the air for him. That was not. Terry Funk just followed the motion. Yeah. Of yeah, me yeah. going out the ring. Yeah, I he like charged out of it. I'm he kind of like flew out yeah, yeah. twice yeah. Yeah, with yeah. Terry Funk. Yeah, that was it. Was amazing. I mean, hats off to you, man. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I would get up after something like that. So it was. I was. I, well, we trained to fall, but you still. I don't care how much you trained. Every time you land, it hurts. Yeah. Every time they say there's a spring in the ring, it's not so. It's two by twelve joists, plywood and foam. What you hear is the, the plywood hitting the two by twelves, solid as it as it can be. Yeah. So even though we train to fall, know how to fall properly, it still hurts every yeah. single time. Yeah, yeah. Every single time. Now, when you were, was this like your full-time gig as a wrestler in the, you know, during this time period? Or were you also doing other stuff? And now, from 1987 to about 1983, I was, I was wrestling, making a living. I was wow. making a living doing my craft. You know, and then, uh, I did take on a, a job after that in construction after my time run out. And then I kind of got into casino business as security, making sure no one would mess in the businesses. And then around 97, I picked up wrestling again with APW, uh, a minor league who uh, Chief J was, you know, he got access to cities to the show. He's the one who sent our troops who we, I knew as K-Crush back then, but uh, we, you know, Jay Eagle got him up to the show all the way to WWF. I'm happy, for, you know, for the boy. That yeah. I got a chance to actually tag team with him. You know, R-Truth was R-Truth, an incredible yeah, worker. Yeah, he's like a WWE legend now at this point. So, yes, yeah, he's back. He, they got him working now. Yeah, he'll probably go in their Hall of Fame. Um did you ever kind of get worried that you were ty- going to get typecast as the guy that lost to all the stars on TV all the time? Or was it just kind of like, this is, I'm having the time of my life. Who gives a fuck? Was it kind of like that? I think I wasn't worried about that. I was worried about things I wouldn't do. And that's kind of what got me blackballed in the business. Dusty Rose, bless his soul. Virgil Reynolds. May rest in peace, but he actually ruined my career because I wouldn't slice my forehead up. I wouldn't uh, stick a, a used syringe in my arm and pull out vials of blood for them to shoot condoms with hot, hot water so a rascal stick the blood-filled condom in his yeah. mouth. And when Matt Sue to put him in the sleeper, he'd bite down for the blood effect. Yeah. And that's, Dusty said, that's your problem, Cougar. You're not dedicated enough. You're never making this business. And he was right because when I went to the Northwest, you know, Midwest Territory, about two weeks later, I was canned. I went to Puerto Rico to wrestle, and about a week later, I was let go. It seemed like everywhere I went, and I found that it was Dusty, you know, dropping a dime on me, you know. Uh, he oh, man, blackballed awesome. me, hurt me bad. I wish he never would have done that. But uh, he did wrong by me because I wouldn't, I just wouldn't partake in some of the things they would do. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a bummer. That's a real bummer. So that, yeah, that kind of, that kind of, I guess, it coincides. Then you were kind of in the NWA after he had kind of left. So I guess you kind of didn't really like that. That's when you kind of got on TV a little bit. Yeah, I got uh, the NWA, WWF, just a small run with uh, WWE and then a a few years with APW, American Pro Wrestling, which is run by Chief J. Eagle. He's still running the Chief Wahoo McDaniel School of Pro Wrestling still to the day. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So tell me about, you said you you wrestled, you were in the ring with Andre the Giant? Yeah, I got a chance to work with him. Uh, uh, this was, uh, I guess, around 1988 <clears throat> when we all—they uh, were calling us up. Uh, Nelson Royal, Gene Anderson, the one who trained us, would actually, uh, you know, get us the gigs. They would book us, and uh, he got us booked up WWF. My first time up there, and the first TV show I got to work. Sean Michaels and Johnny, you know, uh, uh, Marty Gennetti, <clears throat> Tommy Angel, and I, you know, Tommy Angel, mm-hmm. and uh, just had uh, to work. He worked, you know, Andre worked both of us. He uh, he beat us both up, but and a man seven foot four, five hundred pounds, and he's not going to give you anything. He's not going to let you do anything. Yeah, yeah. You got to take, you know, as a squash job. To one I want to work with uh, the Midnight Rockers or the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers, they give me a little something. You know, they would let me do a, a little move on them. And yeah, yeah. That just shows that they trust you enough to allow you to do a move on them. If they didn't trust me, they would just squash me out, get out the ring as fast as they could. So I was honored to be able to work with some of the talent. That I got to work with is something that's just kind of go uh, going down as a legend, like Sting and, and Ric Flair still going. Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, man, I gotta tell you, like I said, uh, when I stumbled upon you, I'm like, I gotta talk to like the legends, the sheer number of like just bona fide, like all time greats that you were in the ring was like insane. It's <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, a lot of people pretty, thought, pretty uh, didn't know where Cougar J went. They. Just, I know, but now they they find me. I, I get little cards in the mail, my Cougar J card. People want me to autograph it for them. So it's hard to believe. Thirty four years later, that, that the amount of people that remember who old Cougar J was is kind of blowing my mind. I thought it's just a, a has been. Maybe I never was, but. Well, obviously, I was, you know, something no, for man, the people. No, man, you were part of the fabric. I got a fan, le- a fan mail letter just the other day, and I'm like, my gosh. You know, old Cougar J must be more popular now. I'm more popular now than I was 34 years ago. <laughs> well, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, man. But, yeah, you were part of the fabric of people's lives growing up. I mean, you know, anyone who watched the wrestling back then was like, they they saw Cougar J on a regular basis, so it's like, yeah, you yeah, were part, I was, part I was of the lucky show. to be on there. Had a had a good run, good twelve year run, and it led me to a lot of other good things. You know, uh, let me land a part in the Patriot, doing stunts with Mel Gibson, the Heat Ledger, and landed me on CW Network with Angel City Stories. Uh, 
2015 taught by St. Augustine, the 450th anniversary. So I got to tell my story of being buried alive, which, you know, actually happened. We know people were buried alive. They didn't understand. Coleman's no formaldehyde until the middle of the Civil War. So a lot of people were buried alive. And I get kind of creepy on my ghost stories. But uh, I just stick to the facts and tell them exactly what happened and how the legend come about, you know, where the legend comes from. That's basically, I got (coughs) accidentally, it seems like everything I've been in has accidentally happened. I I just ran into the right people, being in the right place at the right time. I was in a mall uh, in South Carolina, Rock Hill, and a man walked up. I, I called, I was a big boy. And told me they was filming a movie in Brattonsville called The Patriot. Mel Gibson, he alleged where I'd be interested in coming out. I said, sure. When it got to hurt. So I ended up getting shot off a horse, showing a guy how to take a fall. So you fall down a, like a six-foot drop into the creek. I got my blessed choke. My chest blowed out two or three different times. Hung around with, hung around with Mel and Hung around Heath Ledger, so that was a, you know, it was a great time. You know, wrestling led me to that. It led yeah. me to stories. It led me to telling stories, and I've told ghost stories for over twenty years now here in St. Augustine. So I've become like a, a legend here now for telling stories for so long. Yeah. Now, how did you? We'll, we'll segue into the ghost stuff. I'll probably circle back for some more wrestling. Well, I, I how left did you get LA. Mixed up with I was the world forty years stuff. old, nineteen ninety-nine, and I was doing the Waterworld show at, at Disney, and I just couldn't take those falls anymore. So I moved to Orlando in early two thousand to try to do the Wild Wild West stunt show. And the, I was playing Brother Claude, and I had to get sharp in thirty-foot building a 360 through a piece of plywood between two saw books, cut in half, but eight times a day was getting to me. I I just couldn't do it. I've had a lot of breaks. I was tore up. And my wife said, there's a, you know, there's an ad here looking for horse and buggy drivers in St. Augustine. So I come to St. Augustine, drove them horse and buggies two and a half years and the ghost tour started. I was here when it actually started and watch it go from two little companies to over 50 companies now and how you'd be happy to have four people on your Saturday night tour when now they're booking five and six groups of 20 people per night, all the companies. So uh, it's turning into quite a lucrative business. And I had my own business for 2014, 2020, but cancer kind of struck me down yeah and uh i had to kind of let everything go and for three years uh worked myself back up into to remission i had to get seven i had seven tumors Jeez. one side of the softball it took a lot of work to, to overcome terminal stage four cancer with three months to live back in december 28th of 2020 and the funny thing is three years on the mark how can this be mathematically impossible? How can it be possible that I was told December 27, 2023, I'm in remission and I'm going to live a long time now? Three years on the date. Yeah. I mean, that's 
not mathematically possible with man. They had to do something with, you know, my, with God, who uh, yeah. who I feel really, you know, saved and healed me. Jesus gave me an eight-month start before cancer hit. Because I wasn't in a great state of mind prior to March 28 or 2020. I had a lot of money. I had a great house, a wife of over 40 years, three kids, six grandchildren. Had it all. But I had my demons. I was hitting the bottle. I was, you know, you know, doing like all rassers, getting up, mixed up in the drugs. Yeah. And he come to me as plain as day and told me, if you continue your ways, you will die. But if you change your ways, I give you 20 more years of life. My life, my wife walked in and said, who are you talking to? I said, I don't know. There's something in the room. Tell me if I continue my ways, I'm going to die. But if I change them, I'll live for 20 more years. And so I come out of that, you know, vision serious, started working out. Went from 170 to 207, and eight months later, the cancer, I diagnosed with cancer and dropped yeah. 127 pounds. If yeah. I had not put on that extra 30 pounds after right. March yeah, 28, yeah. 29, I would have been under 100 pounds. I would have died of cancer, but I chose to change my ways. I give up everything, dedicated my life to Jesus Christ, and that's basically what I do now. I'm an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I I work for the Lord now. I'm putting Jesus over and set all these right. You, you know, God feel he saved and healed me. I mean, don't take me wrong. I, many factors. I had God. I had my family. I had friends. I had many prayers, a lot of love, a great medical team, and just an inborn need to survive and not go down. And that was my route. February 2021, hospice was in my house, wanting to make me comfortable. Forget about trips. You're terminal. We can make you comfortable. I say, you can drug me now, take my last breath. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die like a man. I'm going to fight it with everything I got because Jesus promised me 20 years ago, nothing supernatural is going to heal you. I said, I beg to differ. I said, I appreciate if you leave my house and not being facetious, but just don't come back to my house ever again. The hospice never come, and here I am, come July, February, four years later, still living. What if I would have taken a morphine until I died, tell my family goodbye? I mean, it's just amazing how everything worked out. I'm still here. I'm still alive. Absolutely, man. You've had an incredible life. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Forty years of entertainment. I've been blessed. Never worked a real job in my life. Always <laughs> had fun. Everything I've done. I'm not going to turn. Oh, I lost you, Dion. Uh-oh. Come in. Oh, I see you now. Ah, we did it. I went moving. I moved closer to Wi-Fi. All this internet, all these phones today, all these shutdowns in Florida. I don't, yeah. they don't know what's caused it, but it, uh, it's kind of ruined a lot of people's phone service. And my phone is shut off. So it's still probably, there's a lot of people's phones are just shutting off and all throughout the country. It's 
Rods. You know, Rods, Rods stuff working. Now, all right, so let me, we're going to jump back to the, uh, you have a remarkable story. Let's jump back uh, in the chronology a little bit to the ghost, the, the ghost uh, tours. Did you have an interest in ghosts beforehand, or is this something you sort of learned on as on the uh, as you went along? I was driving a horse and buggies, and uh, in 2000, the ghost tour business started in, 20, I believe, 1998, and uh, I just got hooked up in it. I was intrigued, got a few of the ghost books, read a few stories, and uh, then I went working for everybody. I drove the horse and buggies, trains, trolleys, did the pirate ship. Freedom Schooner, did the old jail tours, Jesus. and did the Ghost in Grace song, the Ghost Experience, Ghost Encounter. <laughs> and I was just, in 2014, uh, just started my own. It happened in 19, I mean, uh, 2013. Had a little 90-year-old woman, woman on my tour, and she goes, you can spin a story. I said, I've never heard a phrase that way before. Before she was old women, when they're on the porch, they tell the stories, they're spinsters. When old men are passing stories, they're spinners. So I said, instead of a storyteller, you call me a spinner? She says, you're a damn good one. As a matter of fact, you are the American spinner. And that's how it all took off. Made some videos, put them on YouTube, and up until 20 20 got on top of the world, voted number five in the nation by USA Today with the top nice. 10 ghost tours in America. My little one-man company at number five, and it That's set awesome. my business in the orbit. Now, did you Tell have – let, let, you're, well, you're the American spinner, so lay it on me. Give me one of your best stories. Give me – you know, you got one that's like your signature tale. That will blow the minds of the Banal of America listeners. Well, is a is a fact. In eighteen twenty one, when yellow fever hit Florida, if you were bitten by an infected mosquito, come down with yellow fever, slip into a coma, they didn't know what a coma was. They could not pick up when your vitals slow down drastically to two or three heartbeats per minute. They could not pick up a pulse, breathing in the mirror. No stethoscopes as you have today. Roll a piece of paper, listen to your chest. They took you for dead and buried you. About 30 years later, after being in the United States territory, city started to grow, so size of cemeteries, so they had to dig up coffins, move them over to family plots, and they opened some up. That's where they found scratch. And claw marks. People were buried alive. So they started burying their relatives with strings tied around their fingers and toes, which led to above ground bells called the Bates and Belfry system. If the person six foot under wake up out of that coma, started thrashing and ring those bells, they'd run out, dig the coffin up, open it up, and let you go your merry way. But if you had to work out there at night, sometimes people were sitting in cemeteries late at night, listening for bells, which become known as a graveyard ship. If you were 
had to string her around your finger and toe, where you become known as the dead ringer. But if you were fortunate enough to have yourself dug uh, dug up, it was called Save by the Bell. So these terms have been around much longer than we actually thought. You know, because there's a good... It it didn't only happen here in St. Augustine. It was a global event. So there's a very good possibility millions of people were buried alive. A terrible way to go out. One of my favorite ones. The other one was Chief Osceola, who Dr. Ween uh, actually cut his head off after he died. They captured Osceola and they... uh, he had a high fever. They transferred him to Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina. And Dr. Wheaton actually cut the man's head off, brought the head back to St. Augustine, kept it in a jar, a jar of vinegar. He said, you bring it out as a conversation piece. And when his oldest daughter got married, he gave her the head of Osceola, which he oh had God. used in their younger years, sitting at the foot of the beds because they were misbehaving, where that Osceola's head would be staring at you, just staring at you. And his daughter didn't want the head. She didn't want the head at all. Some tell you the head, like, disappeared. Some say it went to a museum in, in Washington. Some said it never left St. Augustine. But still to this day, no one knows where the head Abbasiola is located today. Still a mystery that happened in 1837, and still the head has not been recovered. So pretty creepy story. Dr. Weed That's why. Yeah. was a very bizarre doctor of phonology, studied lumps and bumps, divots on a person's head, trying to determine their personality traits. So did he take the head off in science, but it was known the fact that Osceola had killed Dr. Weed's brother-in-law, Frederick Wally, in battle. So maybe it could have been an act of revenge. But either or, they don't know where the head is still right. to this day. Who's got, the head's got to be somewhere, but yeah. they cannot concrete validate where the head is today. Yeah, yeah. It's like in a jar somewhere in someone's attic or an archive or something like that. Osceola, this was a Native American? He was a famous Seminole Indian leader. Oh, okay. He was part British, part Seminole. His real name was William Powell, Billy Powell. His Native American name was Osceola. Okay. That's why. And better known as Wildcat, was like his first mate. Interesting. So these are like almost more historical stories. Did you? What about the paranormal? Did you ever encounter? Uh, have you personally ever encountered a ghost? I would like to know if you. I bet you I would have a fantastic. One thing. I saw a little boy in a tree, February 19, 2020, 2001. Driving a horse and buggy, I spotted a little boy in a tree. And I, I said, you better get out of the cemetery locked up. But he never said a word. Everybody on the carriage saw it. And it wasn't just six months later. There's a tombstone 
Tiny Little Stone next to a big tree, and it's the tombstone of James Morgan, who was five years old, 10 days old when he died, November 28, 1877, and he's been known to be spotted in that tree. Children bring toys, set them around the stone. The children claim to see him in the tree. That's the only visual I've had. Now, when yeah. I worked in the jail doing the deranged lunatic of Charlie Powell, part of Ghost and Greystones, you would okay. feel sensations. You would feel like I'd go in singing a song, and you stop it, and for just a split second, you hear it singing with you. You know, and so I'd always go in and sing, hang down your head, Tom Dooley, and I declare the smells of human waste, because they had to use buckets. They didn't have indoor plumbing. Throw it out the windows, and you could have the smells of someone like in your peripheral vision, and you turn and look, and there's nothing there. Oh. And uh, those, I've had lots of sensation, one visual, but a lot of sensation of being looked at. Someone's around me. Uh, I hear something. I smell something. Uh, something's yeah. around me. Yeah, I've had that feeling many times. This is when you Especially were working in that old what, in a haunted yeah, what, in a haunted jail, an old an old haunted jail? Oh, over 200 inmates were killed in the cells. Oh, wow. Killed, over 200 killed inside themselves. They had a chain gang, and they'd find instruments like old knives, something they could make a blade out of, and they'd, they'd kill each other in that jail. A lot of death, a Jesus. lot of turmoil. A lot of tragedy around that old jail. Oh, yeah. It's a very same thing with the old haunted, the Spanish military hospital. A lot of amputation. A lot of death. A lot of musket balls or bite marks in them where they, they don't want you drunk because you might pass out. They want you awake screaming. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because you scream, that means you're breathing. If you yeah. breathe, that means you're alive. So it was, uh, uh, the old hospital, the old jail, Yikes. pretty pretty haunted places. Yeah, you sounds just like it. it when you go in. What's that? The old jail and Spanish military hospital. Yeah, very very active with energy, you know, spirits. I'm yeah. a God fearing man. I believe in God, but. As in Hebrews 9.27, it states men are appointed to die once. After this, the afterlife. End of sentence. It doesn't say right then. Some churches say 40 years from now. Some people say at judgment day. So I do believe that there is spirit. There is energy. Our relatives, I people we know that are watching out for us around us today because I believe we're not going to be judged until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So yes, when people say, how can you be a man of God and believe in ghosts? I said, because it doesn't state specifically in the Bible 
what happens after you die. I mean, you either go, go to heaven right. or hell, but does not say when. But yeah. Hebrews 9, 27, men is appointed to die once after this, the judgment, in the sentence. Nothing else. It doesn't tell right, you right. when. So yeah, of, uh, I believe yeah, there's interpretation. Yeah. I believe there's that. I believe there's ghosts out there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems almost it's paranormal, but it seems almost natural in a way. It's got it. Just seems kind of they, just makes sense you know, if you think about it. Yeah, they are. They are. I believe they're around us. Guardian angel. I feel my mother who died December twentieth, twenty twelve. I feel her around so much. You know, my other siblings don't, but my family, uh, my mother and I were very close. And yeah. I feel her every single day. So I know she's around. Uh, and she was, she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior two months before she died. She was saved two months before yeah. she died. So I know for a fact, my mother's in. Is in John fourteen two, in my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place to you. I feel my mother is one of those mansions right now. I believe she's a uh, walking with amen, sweet Jesus. Man. She was saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, amen, man. Yeah, I, I'm all I'm all about that. That's great. Um, you know, I, I'm in agreement that there's some kind of. Uh, you know, we, we exist alongside something of, uh, there's wonders. something there. There's something mm-hmm. there. Now, did you ever have any weird experiences back when you were a wrestler? Like you were on the road a lot, like, uh, what kind of anything strange out of the ordinary? You ever see a UFO or Bigfoot or anything like that? <laughs> no, never saw UFOs or Bigfoot. Just a lot of strange things in the business. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog business in wrestling. And no one's your friend. They may act like you're a friend, but we casual, we cordial. But most of the time, when shows up, occasionally we'll party in bars. But the majority of the time, we just friends there and go on. There's no friends amongst lions. Everyone's so afraid. You're going to take their spot. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, they're just, it's a dog eat dog world out there. Yeah. A lot of strange things, uh, uh, as far as the business. Like it says, cut throat. I wouldn't cut my forehead. I wouldn't yeah. pull blood out of my arm. I'm not dedicated enough. That's strange right there. And the same yeah. eight guys. Use the same syringe. And I told oh, Dusty, I'll use, I'll do it if you give me a, a new syringe. He goes, that's your problem. You're not dedicated enough. You'll never Jesus. make it in this business. That's just, yeah. Blackball me. Blackball me out of the business. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you... Did you get to hang out? You said you kind of sometimes you would hang out, but like, did you? Oh yeah. Come? Do you have any like? You know, did, sometimes did you we did hang out with Ric Flair ever or any of these guys. Like, what, what, yeah, what, like, I remember a night <clears throat> he went and bought 150 kamikazes. 
and had little shots on the trays, going around giving to everybody, you know. And Ric Flair was pretty, I mean, I did them bunks for him. That man put a $100 bill in my sharp pocket for doing the bumps I did for him. I could not believe oh, wow. it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because he you said like you gave, took a good, me like a tip. You took yeah, such I a good bump, kid. Keep this. And he'd buy drinks for everybody. Flair was a fun one to party with. Kurt Henning, may he rest in peace, was another one fun to party with. Of course, you couldn't keep up with Andre and John. There's man eat three boxes of dozen of donuts and uh, two dozen eggs, drink a gallon of whiskey. I mean, there's no one can keep up with Andre. He was a party of yeah. party of man. Can't keep up with Andre John. Now, what was uh, I, I mentioned earlier? I want to ask. I wanted to ask you about uh, this because uh, Terry Funk just passed away over the summer, and the match you had with him, like I said, you took some insane bumps in that match, and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's this is a, like wild." So, I guess what was what was Terry Funk like? Oh, <clears throat> Terry Funk was incredible. Because the minute we hooked up, he goes, "You, you know how to work, don't you, kid?" I said, I'd do anything you want. You know, I'm going to throw you out the ring. So I went out twice. Yeah, yeah. The ring. And the man, <clears throat> we had pay phones at the time. We didn't have cell phones in 86, 87. And I was on a pay phone talking to my wife. Because he just did that movie, Roadhouse, for Patrick Swayze. And he's telling me what a nice guy Sam Elliott and uh, uh, Patrick Swayze was. And I was talking to my wife on the phone. I wrestled Terry Funk. He grabbed the phone, told my wife, this kid, your husband's going to be a superstar. He's an excellent worker. He knows how to work. I had a great match wow. with him tonight. I mean, that was, you know, to hear that coming from Terry Funk. Yeah, you know, that's amazing. Very nice man. People hated him, his character, his mm -hmm. gimmick, but. He, he was so genuine and pure and just so nice. You know, most of them are nice. You got some of them that are assholes, but there are a couple of them that are very nice. I got to work with Sings, one of them, Brian Pillman, one man gang. These guys are always super nice. They they respected each other. Unlike yeah, yeah. Sid Vicious. Oh. That he was just a prick. Excuse my French. Right. <clears throat> Knocked me out. Vladimir really? Petrov, a total D-I-C-K. Just arrogant. The ultimate warrior, same way. These guys were just... They just didn't really care about the business. They just want to squat everybody, and no one ever could beat them. That's just the way they were. They were arrogant. Dangerous yeah, yeah. dance, Bobby, same way. Uh, Jack Vickery worked with uh, Paul E. Dangerously, total prick. Uh, just hated <laughs> working them. Didn't want to be around yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, did it ever – so – did you ever get into an instance where you were in the ring and it kind of broke down and you were like, oh, shit, we're, you know, we're, this isn't, you know, this isn't going 
the way it should be in a sense, you know what Things I mean? Never like, yeah. Things happen. Those shops from Flair are real. Everything else he does, you use light as a feather. But when that man throws that chop in, it hurts. It hurts. But yeah. most of them are comfortably snug. They're not stiff to where they hurt you. Uh, like Sid Vicious, a Barbarian, he wouldn't mean to, but they were just stiff. Yeah. Our cheek. He, they, but these are the old timers and they're used to that, beating the hell out of each other and bringing that stuff in good and stiff. But that stuff hurt. But that was just this time you had to put up with it. If you want to be part of the business, you got to deal with it. Yeah, well, I imagine it. Uh, I'm kind of astounded in a sense. You say you learned to fall because then you became a stuntman too. Like, I'm just kind of astounded that your body, like, like you must just have a high tolerance for pain as well as an ability to kind of know the right way to 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 take a fall, I guess, right? Because just going from wrestling yeah, it, to be a stuntman, it, it doesn't in, sound yeah. like you slowed down very much. I showed him how to fall off the horse after he got shot. Sure, yeah. how to take a six foot drop in a, into a creek. I got shot out of a 65 foot deer stand and top of a pine tree, which wasn't even part of the movie. And then Mel broke my chest out. And that's what was seen. My whole face yeah. was on the now, I gotta ask tree you now. Mel shot me. So <clears throat> that, I just walked into it. It seemed like now, the door re- closed. Yeah. So what? <clears throat> Another one open. When a door closed, yeah. another one open. Every single time. Absolutely. Now you said this twice now, so I have to ask. You say you taught them how to fall six feet into a creek. So how do you? How does how how is that done? How do you? What's the we what's the train, trick? We don't mind giving it we away. We train <laughs> the land. We're bridging the back up, tucking the chin to the neck, landing square on top of your shoulders, your buttocks and the bottom of your feet to take that blow. All those parts of your body has to land solid to take that Mm -hmm. blow. And uh, I don't care how much you trained. Even if you're doing a backdrop hip toss, you're landing the same way. You're blowing out your LL4 and 5 and your cervical 6 and 7 by keeping your chin to your chest so your head won't snap back and arching your back so your butt and shoulders and the bottom of your feet can hit. So most wrestlers, when they get out of it, have a lot of disc problems in the LL4, LL5, and the cervical, the C6 and C7, but learning how to just fall. And it still hurts every time you land. I bet, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not... (laughs) Yeah, when you say like you learn how to fall, it's like it's not that you're falling painlessly. It's just like you're falling the least painful way to fall, right? There's not a non-painful way to fall. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's, all, it's all gonna hurt. Yeah. Jesus. That's why 
Uh, I'm all, all crippled up now. My knees hurt. My back hurt. My head. I can imagine. I yeah. go through spinal and cervical and ablation when they burn and dead in the nerves uh, in my body. So I can just fuck. Oops. I just function today. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's remarkable. It's, uh, you know, and then you were doing all this, like I said, then the stunt work is even, <laughs> like, wow. So you were part of, like, these shows, at, what, like amusement parks and stuff? You say you do, like, a Wild West thing, like, eight times a day? Yeah, you had to do that fall eight times a day in a Wild Wild West stunt show, and I just couldn't Jesus. do it. Yeah, I just couldn't no, do I don't, it anymore. I can imagine. Yeah, how 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 long? Well, have I've you had been doing thirty this? breaks in my body. I've had a lot of pins, places, screws, battle cancer for three years. So it's been a it's been a rough life, brother. It really has. And I'm feeling today. My wife tried to tell me back in the eighties, "Gonna come back on you." Oh no, I'm in shape. You look how Wahoo McDaniel is walking. Look at the shape Sweet Hands is walking in. You don't think you're going to have that too? No, I'm in great shape. Guess what? She was right. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. So you, you're you a cancer survivor now. It's just in remission. Are you still getting any treatments or anything like that? or because uh, you, you I know, do immunotherapy. Immunotherapy, yes. Every three weeks. Yeah. No more right. chemotherapy. That's over. Two years, ten Yikes. months of chemotherapy every three weeks. Yikes. Yikes. Well, I mean, God bless you, man. Come back from stage four cancer. It's uh, miraculous, really. My, yeah, my terminal. Uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's it's remarkable. I, I'm kind of blown away by it, to be quite honest. It's uh, God bless you, man. Um, so are you still doing any of these tours? Is the American Spinner still running around? Well, uh, I still do the ghost tours a couple of nights a week, and I, I, I practice my preaching. I call, I'm an ordained minister, and I do like salvation is the blessing of the bikers. A lot of stuff on my website, JesusWorldMinistry.com. Pastor yep. Dion videos, and uh, and that's basically what I do today. Um, since I was diagnosed with trouble stage four cancer, they put me on disability, and then I, I do ghost tour to pick up a little extra income because you're not going to survive on disability. And December 27th of 2023, when they told me exactly three years to the date that you're in remission, and you're going to live a long time now, and you can go back to what you used to do. So I'm back doing the tours, back in the gym, and uh, trying to get the weight back up now. Fantastic. So God, you know, so Jesus saved and healed me because I had a 1% chance of living. You know, you, 1%. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. Well, like I said, it's it's, you know, downright miraculous man do you ever get mixed up in the uh, uh we're not we're not talking about making a comeback or anything here but do you ever get <laughs> do you ever do you ever talk to the old wrestlers do you ever sort of you know there's a lot of conventions you ever I go to the shows i mean a lot i talked to nikita koloff a lot but as far as getting back in the ring 
Now, I mean, I'm almost <laughs> 64 years old. My my wrestling days are over. There you go. I, that's what I unless, think. Now, but, but do you ever go to the shows big, or anything? Unless, big, unless a big payday comes along, then I might reconsider. Yeah, if they call you, like, next week and they need you to remain event WrestleMania, you're not going to turn them down, right? Oh, if they offer a good sum, no, I'm not going to turn them down. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> so did you ever did you ever consider training wrestlers yourself? I've thought about it, and I saw a guy the other day, like, seven foot five, and I was about ready to approach him, but, no, I did train uh, Mickey Richards, uh, Billy Bob Wire back in the 90s, and a female wrestler who called herself Strawberry, but they never really made it to, and I worked with our troop, you know, Ron Killers, yeah. and it, when he was K-Crush. So he's the only one who actually made it to the to the show out of all of us. It's a big time. Yeah, well, I'd like to think, even if you didn't like train him specifically, I'd like to think that the, the days on the road and working with our truth you probably rubbed off on him and, and, you know, helped him in a big way. So, you know. Do you ever hear from you him? You never know if, if he fell on the table. I'm going to say I'll trade me. By gosh, I'll do it. And I won't turn it down. There you go. Do you ever hear from R-Truth? Have you heard from him since you guys teamed up after all these years? Since he went WWF in 2000, I've not heard a word. I've emailed him, tried to call. He don't return any emails. I think he's not even a courtesy call. That's a bummer. Well, it's good to use. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's the case. Yeah, I guess you're right, man. It's I always wanted to get into the wrestling business, as you might can tell from talking to you. So. <laughs> no, you I, don't. I got into the paranormal business, so it's almost the same thing. Don't get into the wrestling business. Don't you dare. <laughs> now, if what your grandfather you... or father was a wrestler, he makes that a better chance. Yeah. But to be an outsider... You don't got a snowball chance in hell. You really don't. Unless yeah, you're no, super no. big. <laughs> if you're seven foot tall, 300 pounds, you might get a shot. Yeah, believe me. My day is <laughs> But for all the young people out there, <laughs> don't, don't even try it. Now, I'm looking over your amazing life here. Magician, dancer, wrestler, stuntman, storyteller. What, what, what's your, do you have a favorite era? You're like Taylor Swift. You really are, Dion. You're like Taylor Swift. You have the different eras of your life. So is there one particular era that you, you know, remember most fondly? The the wrestling was. That brought, no matter where you went, people know who you were. Yeah. You go to a shopping store, they recognize you as Cougar J. No matter where you, I mean, the feeling. And I only experienced it on a small scale. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be like a Ricky Morton or a Ric Flair. They couldn't go anywhere. But yeah. the you pull up into a coliseum, get out the limo and hear people holler your name, Cougar J, that, that was quite a rush. 
him chant your name in the auditorium, uh, Coliseum, Cougar J. That not a better feeling in the world to have 40,000 people screaming for you. Yeah, it sounds pretty awesome, man. It sounds pretty awesome. Well, that's uh, that's kind of like the perfect place to end this conversation. I know you've had a long night, and uh, we've had an adventure here taping this. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I got I, that that therapy. That's why my face is so red. That the chemotherapy makes my voice hoarse. I, I can't, you know, it I makes totally, your body I, ache. Yeah, it, man. It, no, I, I hugely appreciate you even coming on and, and having this conversation tonight. So, like I said, oh uh, no, it I, was great. It was an honor, man. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I had a blast. I really, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad you and, did. I had a good time too. You made and not only was it feel fun, not only was it fun, Dion, but it was uplifting because your story, your cancer survivor's story, uh, survival story is is really tremendous. Yeah, and, uh, I, it should give hope to everybody else out there that you know never stop fighting if you're, uh, you know, if you get way late. Never stop fighting. Seats. Run hospice out of your house. There you go. There you go. Don't well, thank you. In. Don't let hospice in. They're going to drug you to death. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So just, yeah, just keep fighting like uh, like Cougar J, and everything's going to be all right. So thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's really been a thrill, and, and God bless you, sir. All right. You have a great night. Thank you for bringing old Cougar J back.